This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as proud as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making the truth journey a reality. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And don't forget you can buy MMS directly from us. Stop looking elsewhere buy from the source you trust. You can also buy all our seasons in high-quality audio and our futuristic metal-cased USB drives, including bonus material. Go to the Veritas store for this and much more. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. On March 5, 1984, José Escamilla videotaped 16 minutes of UFO footage in broad daylight, nine miles south of Roswell, New Mexico. He thought this would be the only UFO encounter he and his family would ever have. But 14 days later, he captured something on videotape that would forever change his life. He discovered something flying in the skies that just didn't look normal. At first, he thought they were insects flying close to the video camera. After a number of tests, he found out they were not insects. He found out they were not birds. Instead, 
he discovered something that will forever change the way we accept reality. They are called rods, and they are appearing everywhere, all over the world, even over my shoulder during my History Channel appearance. We'll discuss NASA, the Moon, and the concerted effort by the intelligence apparatus to marginalize his work, and much more. Jose Escamilla is our special guest, coming up right now on Veritas. Jose Escamilla is a producer, director, composer, truth seeker, and discoverer of the Rod phenomena. On March 5, 1994, Jose Escamilla videotaped 16 minutes of UFO footage in a broad daylight, nine miles south of Roswell, New Mexico. He thought this would be the only UFO encounter he and his family would ever have. But 14 days later, he captured something on videotape that would forever change his life. He discovers something flying in the skies that just did not look normal. At first, he thought they were insects flying close to the video camera. After a number of tests, he found out they were not insects. He found out they were not birds. Instead, he discovers something that will forever change the way we accept reality. They are called rods, and they are appearing everywhere, all over the world, even to me during my History Channel appearance. Some of his films are Roswell Rods, Interstellar, UFO The Greatest Story Ever Denied, Moon Rising, Luna, Moon Views, Celestial, and others. And directly from Southern California, I'm so happy to finally have Jose Escamilla on Veritas. Hello, Jose, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Good, good. It's great to be on your show, finally. Finally. After so many years, and you know, I bet you 99.9% of the people that listen to the show already know who you are. But before we start, Jose, there's a a very important event, and maybe for those people who who may not know who you are, March 5th, 1994. I believe this is what started it for you. Can you describe that event? Yeah. uh, At that time, I was in Roswell, New Mexico. That's my hometown, by the way. Is that right? Yeah, and I was visiting my mother and my sister. Uh, my brother and I had just finished uh, premiering a film uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, a couple of months, uh, like in uh, January, right after, right after the Northridge earthquake. And uh, I decided to stay in town and visit my family for a few weeks because we were doing uh, three other movies later that year. So it had been years since I'd seen my mom, you know, <laughs> living here in L.A. Mm-hmm. So uh, this particular Saturday uh, afternoon, I get a call from my sister, and she's out at the ranch. I mean, I was in Roswell staying at her house, um, but she calls me from the ranch, which was nine miles south of Roswell. It's an area called Midway, and it's two miles south of where the former Walker Air Force Base was, the 509th squadron where they actually took the alien bodies to the original hangar 18 there and so um she calls me and she says jose bring the video camera there's ufos out here and i you know at first i was incredulous about it but um i drove out there and it was a clear blue sky there were no clouds and um 
there appeared, I, you know, I was wait, I was looking to see, um, you know, John uh, Spielberg type UFOs, you know, huge hovering objects, Billy Meyer type stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. But but that's not what was happening, and um, they um, they were actually real high in the sky, and right at twelve o'clock. And at first glance, I said, "Oh man, that's a weather balloon." But then, as, as soon as I said that, this thing just uh, zoomed and, and you know, formed a, a right angle angle turn and then back to where it was. And I go, that's not a weather balloon. They don't do that. So it was just hovering there. And I filmed that day. I filmed 16 minutes on the video camera. That's that's all the time I had left on the battery. And um, it was just an amazing thing. And I'd never seen UFOs on video um, much like this, because when I started looking at the uh, footage uh, back in Roswell, I had a little edit base set up. Um, I kept seeing these little flashes, you know, and dots appearing and stuff. And I go, well, maybe that's dirt or noise, you know, video noise. But there were lots and lots of UFOs. When I started going frame by frame, these things were appearing in the fields of video, not video frames the fields which are in between there's actually 60 frames per per uh, second in a video and they're um the ones that we don't see are called fields so these things were high velocity objects and um <clears throat> that day we filmed close to 75 different types of ufos that have been recorded over the years um dome-shaped objects triangles uh cigar-shaped um Got other strange shapes too. There was one that looked like a diamond, and there was another one. You know how they these kids play jacks? Yeah. There was an object that just zipped through the sky, flipping, and it looked just like a you know one of those jacks. Mm-hmm. It's just weird, man. A lot of the young people may not remember playing with that thing uh, when you were a kid and the little ball. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't know that um, this was the only time that we'd see UFOs there. Uh, it just turned out that, um, they were appearing there all the time, all these years. I just, we just never looked up. My sister looked up that day and, um, these UFOs were there. And finally, uh, when the batteries ran out, I went home, but, um, it was amazing. I mean, it was just an amazing thing. So we contacted Clifford Stone and at that time, John Price, who was the owner of the Enigma Museum, which was located at the entrance of the old air base. <clears throat> to have to have them come out and look at the video footage, and it took a week to get them to come over. But um, once uh, once they saw this stuff, then you know they started going, "Oh my gosh," you know. And then uh, on on March nineteenth was uh, I got a call from Becky, and they said, uh, "Becky's my sister." Mm-hmm. She said, "Hey, they're back, so come out here." And I went out there, and I had my girlfriend with me, Karen. She was visiting from Denver. We went out there, and that's the day that we filmed the first Rods. And uh, she named them Rods because she's a former nurse, and she said uh, that's they look like these things that appear under a microscope that have these little appendages on the, on both sides of the torso, and they are mm-hmm. called Rods on a medical dictionary. So um, that's where the term Rods came from. Good. That that's I I was wondering where the term came from, but I can understand it now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was named after a bacteria. So um, 
I started, you know, at first glance when I I could see them in the viewfinder zipping by the camera, and I said, oh, that's a bug, that's a bird, you know, because we have insects and birds there at the farm, and um, <clears throat> but when uh, we looked at the footage later that evening, uh, on the uh, on the deck and, and the editing bay, going frame by frame, we were filming at a high shutter setting at that time, which was one one thousand, I believe it was, no, one two thousand. And uh, <clears throat> what that made it apparent was that these things were not insects, they were not birds, because you could see birds flying by clearly. You could see their little legs and, you know, their feathers. That's when you shoot at the high shutter setting, that's the clarity you get. And then insects, you could see the antennae, you could see the, the flapping of the wings, you could see the little legs, and you could see, you could make out that it was an insect, whether it was close to the lens or a short distance or far away. You could tell an insect. I mean, you know, you shooting at the shutter setting. But then when these rod things would fly by, they look like flying snakes. And um, that's where we started looking at this phenomenon and saying, wow, this is really strange. I've never seen anything like this. Flying snakes, flying serpents. So, you know, we started the filming every day from March 19th on after that. And, uh, man, we, Mel, we caught... So much footage. I mean, before you knew it, we had over 2,000 hours of UFO footage. Wow. UFOs were appearing there almost every day, every other day, that kind of thing. I mean, we had um, we had this one white sphere that hits the tail end of a white jet that passes over by. And here's the thing. Our property at Midway is located two miles south of the base. Now, I remember when I was a kid, the, the big Boeing, seven, uh, fifth, Boeing uh, 50, B-52s used to take off, and we'd see them taking off, and then they'd make a circle and, and fly right over our property, okay? And uh, that's the track that they would fly, the path they would fly, and then they would gain more altitude, fly back over the base, and then they would head towards White Sands Missile Range, where they would do test bombings and stuff. We used to see that stuff in the 50s, late 50s when we were kids and um, still today the jets do when they take off from the, the air base there the, or the uh, industrial air center uh, they fly right over our path to gain altitude I guess that's just been the trend you know for whatever reason so um, we have footage of UFOs that are chasing planes there one of them seems to you know how a hawk I mean a sparrow flies at a hawk that's too close to the nest mm-hmm it kind of taps it on the wing and, and then flies away. That's what this one UFO did. It hit this jet on the tail section as if uh, wanting to shoo it away or something. And we have that on footage. We also shot an F-15 or an F-14, I believe, that flew low to the ground right over our property. And, you know, what we used to do, Mal, is we'd set up cams, uh, camcorders. We had three uh, at different parts of the property because uh, these were certain locations where we were getting a lot of activity in the sky. And this one camera, we had set it up facing towards uh, the east. And um, it, um, it it has this jet that just flies right over. And it flew pretty low to the property. You know, it might have been filming our property. I don't know. But it was low. I mean, it was, it was like, barely, you know, barely like about 500 feet, which is not too, you know, it's not high. Probably doing reconnaissance on your property. Yeah, it could have been. But this one jet flies by, and then 17 seconds later, 
A sphere the size of a basketball flies by, following that jet. A metallic sphere, and that was just odd footage. And, you know, the camera took that. We weren't even attending the camera. Um, you know, we, we saw that. We had a thing called, um, um, when we review the tapes, gosh, what, what did we call it, Matt? Scanning. Scanning the tapes. And a two-hour tape would take sometimes like 10 to 15 hours. Because at times we'd see a zip, what I used to call a zip, which is a high-velocity object. So you would and slow it, it down. We'd have to go frame by frame to see yeah. what it was, you know. And because um, even insects sometimes go real fast, and then when you slow it down, you go, "Oh, that's an insect that's mm-hmm. got wings," you know. But there was a lot of stuff, man. There were spheres, there were uh, uh, the rods, and there were um, other type of strange-looking shapes, you know, that we'd never mm-hmm. seen before. And um, I finally contacted. Um, um, we, I mean, we were on the newspapers. We were on Albuquerque Journal and Roswell Daily Record. We were on TV and all that kind of stuff. And I finally got hooked up with hard copy. And that's where um, I started getting notoriety, me and my family at that time. And um, we were on hard copy about three times. We were on sightings twice. And uh, did practically every UFO show, encounters, you name it, you know. Um, I did the Danny show, that Danny Bonaducci show, uh, the Lisa show. I did, um, the Geraldo Rivera show. And, you know, did a lot of, got a lot of exposure inside edition and everything else. And we showed a lot of our early footage on there. Did they treat the topic with respect? Yes, they did. Good. Yeah. With the exception lately of, uh, you know, Monster Quest and the History Channel, which debunked me, you know, they did their best to, um, to um, um, make it known that rods are nothing but flying insects. And they did all these camera tests and everything. But what the audience doesn't realize is that, you know, I have been telling people do not shoot um, in any lower shutter setting, lower than, two, you know, whatever your highest shutter setting is. Shoot at the highest shutter setting and in broad daylight. Forget about nighttime because that compromises your quality and you have to shoot automatically at a lower shutter setting, and anything passing by becomes a blur. I mean, you could throw a, um, a baseball, and it'll it'll look like a, a elongated shape. That's right. And see uh, what what History Channel did and Monster Quest is they uh, deliberately deliberately did the high speed camera tests at night. And uh, their claim was the reason they didn't do the broad daylight ones because they were shooting for hummingbirds. <laughs> you know, during the day, but the hummingbirds didn't show up and they had to settle with what, you know, what they had. Well, that's BS, man, because if they would have done, they would have contacted me. And, they, and see, they never contacted me about any of the tests or anything. Otherwise, I would have told them, no, you're not doing no nighttime tests. You're going to do it in broad daylight and you're going to do it over here where I know there's rod activity. You know, we'd have gone to Roswell and guaranteed there's rod activity there. So uh, they deliberately avoided doing the broad daylight test because they know they would have gotten different results. Okay? So, uh, but the, the viewing audience says, oh, that's all it is. It's just insects. They proved it. No, they didn't prove anything. Even the interior test with the uh, paintball thing, uh, they had to set the camera at a low shutter setting because it was indoors. And it was not lit artificially. It was just regular lighting. So what do you do? You have to set that at the auto setting or normal setting, uh, which allows you to shoot outside and inside easily. 
but anything you shoot inside is going to be blurry. Mm -hmm. They deliberately knew that. The guy at Panasonic didn't even touch on the matter about high shutter settings on camcorders. You know, he just said, oh, yeah, if you shoot, uh, you know, camera, uh, you know, you're going to get blurred. Well, you are unless you tell them, shoot at the high shutter setting. That eliminates it. That's what we had to do because I made sure that I was not going to fool myself and I was not going to fool the public because, remember, I thought they were insects in the first place. But they aren't. And we have rods flying in space, uh, shot by the, the shuttle and by the ISS. But conveniently, History Channel and Monster Quest, the narrator was showing the footage and he says, this is probably debris. You understand? They didn't go in depth and check out the real footage of rods instead of the bogus stuff they did. Um, you know, the, the rods, uh, that were flying into the tornado funnel in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. uh, they said debris. Okay. The underwater rods, they say probably a fish. You know, that's the kind of way that they did it to where they eliminated having to do detailed, uh, reporting on the rods. Okay. And then the footage they used for me, they used, uh, um, footage that, uh, I, told them not to show but i wanted to give them a comparison i said this this is normal camera setting and this is high shutter setting okay and this is why i i tell people shoot at the high shutter setting they eliminated the high shutter setting entirely off the show and guess what they used the footage that was low shutter setting on the show that could have been anything so that's showing the reason i'm harping on it mel is because i need people out there to realize that all the networks, unless unless you play their game, they're not going to show the real deal to you. You know, I'm I'm smiling here because I'm listening to you. I'm not, and I'm nodding my head because I know exactly what you mean. I've had this conversation with James Fox. As you know, he was chasing UFOs. I've had conversations with others. I was in the History Channel a couple of years ago, non UFO related. However, they didn't realize this, but once the my my segment aired, one person from Europe came to me and said, do you realize there's a rod coming from what looks to be your shoulder? And I said, what? First of all, you know, how do some people have the, the eyesight to be able to see this? Because I couldn't. And then she pointed out, anybody who, who's interested in seeing what I'm talking about, just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and then scroll down. You'll see the History Channel segment there. Just click on it and then fast forward to one minute and 59 seconds. And then just put your finger on the play stop button and you'll see this rod coming to the right. And this person attributes the fact that she was able to see that because she learned from you. If you hadn't come out with this information years ago, people would not be looking at these weird things. I mean, they seem to be uh, conscious and alive, would you say? Yeah, they seem they seem to exhibit... Um, some kind of intelligence. I mean, we've had footage. Uh, oh, there, there's this footage that I did uh, in one of the, I think, on the Fox TV special that I did with um, Nash Entertainment. And um, actually, the guy that directed the show that I did with Nash Entertainment and Fox TV was um, the director that came out to Midway with hard copy. And we became friends. He worked at Paramount. And um, he decided he wanted to make a full one hour on rods. There is a shot in there shot by a Fox TV camera uh, crew. 
And um, what it is, it's of a base jumper at the Cave of the Swallows, okay? Where I went there, I've been, I've been there about five times. There's a lot of route activity there. Uh, the base jumper is falling, and the camera is following him. Now, he's falling at terminal velocity, okay? You know what that is. That's the, the fastest that the human body will fall, depending right. on your weight. But it's usually about 99 to 120 miles an hour, okay, when you reach terminal velocity. So um, here's the shot of this base jumper. Now, the whole background of the cave is blur. It's motion blur. The only thing in focus, and he's in clear focus, is the base jumper. The cameraman's following him. You know, he's got him dead center, man. It's a great shot. But what happens is from the left, from camera left, a rod flies in, then makes a U-turn and goes back where it came from. But the thing is, Mel, is that the camera is following down. This is what we call tilting down, following the base jumper. So that means that the rod and the base jumper are both going at, a, let's figuratively say, 99 miles an hour. They're both falling downward as the rod is also traveling forward and making that U-turn. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And that's an impossible feat for any insect to make inside the camera lens. That's what people say. Oh, that's just an insect inside the camera lens. No, it isn't. An insect would not be visible because the focus is on the base jumper. Okay, anything close to the lens would be, uh, it, you wouldn't see it. It'd be, ter you know, totally out of, out of focus. This was a rod. It was a white rod. It didn't have the appendages, but the appendages, you know, on, on the side of the body. But that thing flew in. It was falling downward at 99 miles an hour, figuratively. And it was also zooming, flying underneath the base jumper's stomach, making you turn and going back all in one, I, I guess, in about two seconds. I mean, that's how fast, you know, that shot was. So people got to realize there is a lot of stuff out there about the rods that, that you're not going to see. I'm, but I'm coming out with a new film, my final uh, statement on the rods, and it's going to debunk everything that everyone's debunked. <laughs> it's going to show rods are very real, okay? Uh, I'm going to demonstrate all the way the different networks that have dealt with the rods have debunked it by calling them nothing but insects, which is a lie. And I'm going to show you footage that's going to freak you out, man. You know, I've got the closest shot of a rod that was shot at 10,000, 15,000 feet above the ground. Okay. It's not an insect close to the lens because on the other, it's on the other side of the canopy. That's the closest shot of a rod close to a parachutist. And there are other shots at 10,000 10, to 15,000 feet above Earth where these things are flying around all the time, man. What do you think they are? I have a couple of couple of thoughts on that. <clears throat> Number one, they seem to have um, they seem to have a, a behavioral characteristic, almost like a living entity of some kind. That's for so many years I used to think that that it, they are possibly living entities, and they still could be. You know, they could be from the higher spectrum of uh, bacterial forms that exist in in space. All right. Right. But because they also have uh, a life cycle inside the oceans, because we have footage of them entering and coming out of the oceans, um, they may be something that was born here on Earth and it was an underwater creature and it found a way to fly. 
through both mediums to fly into the air and come into the oceans because they swim through the air. They don't fly. They swim like fish in the that's air. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So uh, my thoughts, it, it could be a li living, breathing specimen of some kind, either intraterrestrial, extraterrestrial, or interdimensional. Because I do have footage of these things that seem to come out of nowhere in the sky and then phase in and out of the blue sky. So that's some pretty interesting thoughts behind that. But here's another thing. Um, now, remember, we're shooting these things at the high shutter setting so that you can get a clear image of these things. Uh, until we get a high-speed camera, you know, with these $190,000 cams, mm -hmm. this is all we have to work with. There are cheaper models, but, you know, I want I want the best cam camera to capture these, and eventually that's going to happen. But there's some footage from um, from Florida taking a Gulf breeze, and there's a sphere. I don't know if you've seen this. I've, I've got the clip. It's going to be on the Roswell Rods movie. But um, there's this sphere, metallic sphere, that's real shiny close to this um, roof of a house. And it's, it's, it's farther away, but, it, you know, it's, it's hovering there. The guy's got a steady lock on the camera on it. And this thing just darts off to the left to mid-screen. And then disappears. You know, it takes off so fast. It looks like liquid mercury, you know, mm -hmm. like the metal stretching. But in one or two or two frames, guess what the thing looks like? It mm -hmm. looks exactly like a dark rod with white appendages mm -hmm. from a metallic sphere that we know is a sphere because it's staying there. It's hovering there. Then it darts off and it melts like uh, like like uh, mercury, you know. Molten, uh, molten metal, but in two frames, there's a clear shot of a dark rod with white appendages. So what are we looking at? Are we looking at high velocity spheres that are out of, uh, that are, are motion streaks? Or are we looking at actual flying snake-like things? So it's a toss up, man. It could be anything. And it makes you wonder if you saw that fear, if they're scouts or, 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 you know, we have the equivalent of drones. If a more advanced civilization were to come here, why wouldn't that be, you know, uh, something that they use in order to do some reconnaissance? Who knows? But to me, they, they look alive. And it's interesting that they actually, as you say, they swim. For anybody who, who, who flies planes, you know that the air behaves like water and, and vice versa. So when these things are flying, you can see the, not flapping, but it's a, how can I explain? You can see from both sides, you know, what they're doing. But what amazes me the most is the speed that these things display. Yeah, they are, they are extremely fast. Um, an example there's a shot of a tornado taken, like I said, in, in uh, one of the worst tornadoes in the history of Oklahoma, taken in May of 1990. Gosh, when was that? That was 1997 or 98. can't remember the year. But um, there's a helicopter. There's a weather news helicopter 15 miles away from the funnel, which is big, you know, and it's, the funnel is 300 mile per hour winds. And uh, the cloud front that's the top of the, uh, of the funnel is 10 miles away. Well, out of the cloud front emerges a huge rod, a white rod, and it's only in three frames of video. 
boom, boom, boom. And it comes out of the cloud. You see it in one frame, you know, in, uh, in front of the cloud. And then it, it flies into the cloud again, all in three, in, uh, three frames. Okay. Now, this is a chopper that's uh, flying at um, 3,800 feet, I believe it was. Um, 3,800 feet, 3,000 feet. It was at 3,000 feet, and the chopper's 15 miles away from the funnel, and it's 10 miles away from, uh, I mean, f- five miles away, sorry, five miles away from the uh, front of the cloud. So this rod must have been huge. It could have been 1,000 feet long or 100 feet long, you know. Uh, you'd have to do measurements. I don't know how to do that, but I'll have, I'll, I'll try to get some configuration on that. But this thing flew out and then there's another rod that's far away, 15 miles away that you see it fly directly into the funnel. All right. And that was a huge rod. So a white rod. And then there was a third one. And then we have footage of taken by IMAX of, uh, white rods at uh, 4,800 feet. In the um, the fjords of Norway, where the base jump the base jumper is going to jump off the the top of the uh, cliffs, mm-hmm. and, and there's snow there. Now there's a helicopter that's filming this in in IMAX, and you see these white rods zoom past the heads of uh, the uh, jumpers. There's about five or six jumpers that are about to jump, and these rods from the helicopter shot, rods left to right, you can see them clearly, man. And uh, that's IMAX footage. And and then there's a 3D IMAX shot uh, called The Journey of Man. And um, there's the statue scene. And there's a white rod, a uh, yellowish colored rod that flies near the legs of the uh, the two people. But that was in 3D. I watched it in 3D, man. <laughs> and what, awesome. do, what do they say? Do, do they even comment about this, uh, the, these rods? No, I don't know. That the... the uh, the editors, we have keen eyes because it's our job to see if there's a jump cut. You know, a lot of people don't realize that there are jump cuts sometimes in foot in films that you don't even notice. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we notice that kind of thing because that's what we do. I've been editing for thirty years. You're you know, trained. I I know what to look for if there's a miscalculation or a miss miscut, then the client's not going to be happy. You have to cut it perfectly to make sure that it flows, and um, you know, we'll notice things like, hey, that cup was not there. Now it's there. So we have to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. why that cup is no longer there in the rest of the scene or is there in the rest of the scene and it wasn't in the previous scenes. I mean, that's the kind of things we find, you know. But, um, man, I tell you, when you see the rod footage that's going to come out of this new film, it, it's going to it's going to really throw people back and, and say, wow, the stuff is real. You know, are you making this new movie just uh, because you have received uh, some, you know, flack from from the debunkers? Well, that plus, um, I'm I'm going to actually use this um, in lawsuits, man, because there's been for the last, gosh, how many years ago that that um, History Channel thing came out in 2007, 2008. Um, also, above top secret, they've been allowing people to call me a a, a, um, a hoaxer. That the reason I was banned from AboveTopSecret.com was because I am a video hoaxer of the rods. <laughs> All right. I, I'm, 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 pardon me. I'm just laughing because I know so many people who have been banned from there. 
yours truly being one of them, John Lear being another, and I know so many others. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the reason I was banned is because I got I, I don't like it when people write my name E S and oh no, E and then capital S C A M. Oh, I see what yeah. Case I L L A Jose S Scam. Yeah. You know, yeah. That gets me PO'd, man. And uh, I was doing a forum there and I was talking about rods and the moon and all sorts of stuff. And then there was these guys that were just busting on me, man. And I contacted them personally. I said, look, quit saying that you're using my last name. My family has nothing to do with this, you know, and how dare you insult my family name? We are very proud of our name. Mm -hmm. Cut it mm -hmm. out. All right. Oh, there's going to be trouble, you know, and I said a little not not as kind as that, you know. I'm I'm the kind of guy that'll tell you what's up, you know. Yeah. And uh, so there was three. T I got three warnings that if you use uh, uh, threatening tones, then we're going to have to ban you, you know. And I said, all right, well, you know, I'll try to be cool. But they kept plugging away and plugging away, and I slipped one time again, and they banned me. But see, they didn't ban me because I was hoaxing rods, which they are claiming now. See, I have the truth of why they banned me. It had nothing to do with rods. So uh, what I'm going to do with this movie, it, and it's um, my attorney encouraged me to do this. He says, you need to do a film that just exposes the people that are fraudulently calling you a hoaxer. And it has hurt my business, Mel. There's some financial aspects that I'm going to gain from this because my uh, I used to have plenty of sales of my UFO DVDs and everything else. All of a sudden, there's a 100% drop. I mean, I haven't sold a DVD even my new film, Celestial, I think I only sold like about 29 since the past uh, almost going a year that it's been in release. I mean, it's it's really hurt my business because people go out there and they take everything that uh, they're talking about me that, my, you know, Monster Quest proved that Escamilla is a scammer. He's hoaxing this and, you know, Rods are nothing but insects and all that. And he still keeps pushing that, you know, just to sell DVDs. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that's coming down. But I'll tell you what, man, I never forget and I am getting even, and I'm going to get even where it hurts them most in the pocket, man. They're going to be they're going to be working for me for the next ten, twenty years. <laughs> when 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 the TV tells us something, we have to believe it. And this is unfortunately what most people, you know, they they take they get their news from there. Six companies own the mainstream media, and you know those who listen to this show know that CoinTelPro is a reality. You know, what, what's the saying? Uh, if you don't get any flag, you're not over the target. So, you know, that, that, that to me it gives you credit because of your work. And I've been familiar with your work for so many years. And now we're going to just talk about the moon for a second. Um, okay. This is another subject that for some reason, when you tell people that, that the moon is not black and white, they'll look at you as if you're, if you're a conspiracy theorist. You know, the first question I, I have for NASA, and we'll talk about this, is about the, the moon images. There are some that are airbrushed so that the public doesn't notice, but there are others that have a black square or a rectangle. Have you asked them this question? Why are you placing those black squares or rectangles there? Is there something you don't want us to see? Well, here's what I found. Um, and the reason I did the moon is because I started, uh, I did a segment in my film, UFO, The Greatest Story of the Nine. I did a segment of the moon UFOs, you know, because it was about UFOs and how, um, UFOs were reported by the astronauts, so there was a segment there. But in doing research on that footage and, and the photographs, I found things like the black squares, and I found out that the whole scenery in the background 
was that time's taken out where there are no stars at all. And you're supposedly not to be able to see stars. But uh, the astronauts tell a different story. But anyway, um, they never, uh, you know, NASA has never contacted me. I've made requests for certain footage and certain things. They've never contacted me back. It's like I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a bacteria or a ringworm or something, you know, it's, it's, they don't, they don't return my calls. So, um, I had to do my own research and, and I, I went through the whole archive of NASA footage of the, of the moon and I found full color photography taken with a regular Kodak camera and, uh, X, extra chrome film, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just full color. If you know where to look, you'll find it. It's there. But they yet, they still keep denying people that the moon is a full color celestial body. And that's why I made my film Celestial is because I, I wanted to show people, look, this is not airbrushed by me. This is not uh, uh, fake stuff. This is the real solid color of the moon taken by NASA themselves. So you didn't, because I've seen other researchers, uh, Alan Sturm comes to mind, that they actually add some color so that you could dis you could discern you know, the scenery, but you didn't add any color to it. Absolutely not. At first, when I was doing Moon Rising, um, back in 2009, when I first started doing Moon Rising, I wanted to make a poster for that film, Moon Rising, but I didn't want a black and white photo. Okay? So what I did is I took Earth, fo Earth photos similar to some of the scenes on the moon, and I said, okay, this is kind of a similar terrain, you know, this kind of thing. So let me get the colors and blah, blah, blah. And so what I did is I got a, 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 I turned that photo, the full color photo into a gray scale photo or a black and white photo. And I said, okay, this dark, darkest colors represented on earth with this darkest blue. Okay. So that's when I use on all of the moon shots that I'm colorizing because I did colorize like 247 photos at first. I made a whole little show called Moon Views about the colorization of the moon because I started seeing details of things that you don't see in black and white. All right. So I did colorize the first photos, but then I contacted some friends of mine that worked on uh, Star Wars, and Star Trek and shows like that that do uh, special effects. And I said, hey, uh, where do you guys go to get a replica of the Earth and the moon? Because I want to do a shot of us leaving Earth and traveling to the moon. Now, I remember at that time, I still thought the moon was black and white. So they said, oh, man, everybody goes to map. map planet. Dot org. Yeah, they all do that. That's where we all go. We got Jupiter. We got Saturn. We got everything, man. Asteroids, you name it. And we have the skins of the planets and all that. So I went there, and there's a you can go there, mapthaplanet.org or mapthaplanet.com. They both work. Click there, and you'll see the image of the moon. You click on that image, and then you see, I think there's about 10 different varieties of photos. But in the center of the top row, you see uh, natural color. And I go, wow, this is weird. I said, And I clicked on it, and from there on, Mel... This was in uh, February of uh, two, 2009. My whole uh, concept of the moon changed from there on. Because here I was looking at full-color photography of the moon that I'd never even heard about. Had I not wanted to make that scene 
using my 3D program of zooming towards the moon, I would have never discovered that the moon is, in fact, full color. Okay? So these were in color by NASA. No, no. This is full color photography. RGB, man. And so um, what, what I think you're, you're sensing is that they airbrush out certain things on the moon. Like they smudge them. They yeah. put, make them blurry so you can't see the details. Or they airbrush them out in black and white photos. But here's full color photography. And that's why I redid Moon Rising. Because at first I was, I was using some of my color photography to show details of certain objects on the moon. But then debunkers were saying, Oh man, when, when I put the footage of the real full color photography at the end of the movie in 2009, the debunker said, No, that footage is a lie. That's not full color of the moon. That's Jose's, uh, airbrushing okay yeah yeah so i've done a remake of the moon rising film and i took out all the thing about me airbrushing to make a poster and all that and uh put full color photography this is the actual color of the moon so that's no longer in moon rising and i've I've stopped the release of moon rising version you know the original and now only the remake is available it's called moon rising 2012 but uh it, it astounded me how many people still don't believe after they've seen the full color photography? Now I did Celestial, which focuses on the color of the moon. Have you seen Celestial, Mel? No, I haven't yet. I'll send you a copy. I, I, I stopped showing it for free on uh, on YouTube because I got burned, man. I was expecting uh, tons of views uh, and advertising dollars to come in, but I think I got like 10 views after it hit 200,000 views. I think I got 202,000 views. And then <clears throat> it's just slowly been viewed since uh, July of 21, July 21st, 2012. <clears throat> but where YouTube has been screwing me, now here's another thing. You know, July 21st, I have, I had uh, 3.8 million video video views all right the count was at 3.8 million and 8,000 subscribers around there now come january 1st guess what how many view, video views they claim i have did they right, reduce the number right now that's like 1.2 million huh. it dropped from it dropped from 3.8 million down to 1.2 million how is so, that i i don't know youtube won't answer I've heard that they're changing their schematics so that if you have your video embedded on your website, that they're not, they're not, if somebody goes to, say, 20 people, about 2,000 people go today to your website, they're not counting it as a view because they're not going directly to YouTube, which to me doesn't sound fair. Well, that might have, they might have changed that, but I had 3.8 million views last year. Now, if that's their, their way of, uh, saying, look, let's screw Jose, because, you know, people look at my YouTube channel, they go, oh, he's barely got 1.2 million, where other people have, like, hundreds of millions. Yeah. You know? And um, also, my uh, an interesting, happened, interesting thing happened. <clears throat> Back in 2010, I joined the rental program, and I had Moon Rising on a Friday night. Uh, I debuted on, on YouTube for pay-per-view for $4.99, okay? And by Monday, I had like 2,800 views of my film. 
that's close to like um, by the time I split my split with YouTube, I was like twelve thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Well, come Monday, the film was out. It was not working. I tried getting into my YouTube channel for three weeks thereafter. For three weeks, I couldn't even use my own password. They had locked me out. Hmm. Okay. When they finally responded after I read them, wrote them on the on the subject message, I'm going to your supervisors after this. And I sent them like 50 emails a day for three weeks straight. They finally re- responded. The guy said, oh, uh, I was on vacation, man. Sorry. And he says, I- I've fixed your website. And I go, where's my money? <laughs> you right. know? They said, oh, those views were not views. They were uh, actually views of the page, which is a lie because I can prove to you that when you go to any of these rental things, I did a test. I, I had uh, 50 friends of mine go to the interstellar rental and say and said, all right, click on the page. Don't pay-per-view. Just click on the page. Well, if they were page views, those 50 would have shown up. Right. Guess what? They didn't show up. They didn't show up. So somewhere along the line, someone up there doesn't like me at YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. I, it, Mel, it's like I, I feel like I have a curse on me. I hate to say that, but it's. It's like somebody's just kind of put a, uh, um, a big black ball around me, you know, where I, I don't have revenue. It's well, nuts. That, that's what I see. And not only you, Jose, but I've talked to a lot of people who go through the same thing and they suffer. They, their families suffer, their business suffer, because as you know, the intelligence apparatus has a concerted effort in debunking, subverting you, or even worse sometimes. So... People like you who talk about all these subjects, the moon, rot, I mean, the Battle of L.A., you, you're bringing this up now. We recently saw that movie, which I hated, by the way, the Hollywood uh, movie, which has nothing to do with, with Battle of L.A. So now when you come out with your movie, people are going to be thinking, oh, this probably is talking about these aliens that come to attack L.A. So there's a concerted effort to hurt people who are getting close to the truth. But speaking of the moon. I find it very hard to believe, Jose, that we haven't been back to the moon since, what, 1972, but yet we have, uh, we have India, China, Japan, Russia, all planning to go there. Why do you think this is the case? Well, India and Japan and China have already been there. Now, here's the thing. Um, what we found on the moon and we brought back was very... Um, I think it was either technology or this helium-3 that I keep hearing about. Right, but, right. Uh, we found something on the moon that we brought back that we don't want to share with any other country. So India, China, and Japan spent billions of dollars. Now, why would they spend billions of dollars to go to the moon and gather moon dust and, and dirt and rocks? Right. You know, they're not going to do that. There's something there that we found that they want a piece of. And uh, the thing about Japan... Uh, no, China, when they first went to the moon and they came back with all this great photography, and it's, this is in the movie Celestial, um, there's a scientific, the, the, the space agency press conference, huge press conference, they got a huge tapestry of the moon, the skin of the moon stretched out. And what I mean by skin is when you go to uh, mapaplanet.org or .com, uh, you'll see the skin of the moon flat. And what, it's like they skinned the moon and put it into a flat layer. China has this huge tapestry of the skin of the moon. And guess what? It's in full color. All right. At the press conference, full color photograph. I I managed to take it before they disappeared it. Mm -hmm. But what was released to the public the, the following day 
for the general public was a black and white version of the tapestry. So why would they do that? To keep, to perpetuate the myth that the moon is gray. And uh, we have, you know, thank thank God, man, that this guy that uh, saw Moonrise, and he says, you know, I'm going to check it out. I'm, he's an amateur astronomer out of Richmond, Texas. His name is Bill Bryson. And uh, he said, I'm going to check it out and see if uh, he's telling the truth about the moon being full color. He said, because I always see it in black and white, you know, through my telescope. He's right. a... He, he's a fanatic about uh, viewing the moon every night. So he started testing different colors. He found a guy in Europe that was taking fo- color photos of the moon. And um, he told him the make of this uh, webcam that he could buy out of uh, Japan. So he bought about five or six models of it. And he kept testing and finally found a camera out in China, of all places, that uh, you can purchase anywhere at any web any internet store for uh, like sixty eight dollars, you know, Best Buy or something. Mm-hmm. And he found the sweet spot to where this camera will align with the lens of the uh, telescope to where he'll get clean, full color photography of the moon on his through his telescope. So he's watches the moon. He doesn't watch it in black and white anymore. He sees it in its true color. Is this the gentleman from? From the UK, you referring to? No, he's from uh, Texas, and okay. his his website, you can go there. It's called Bill Bryson. That's B R Y S O N dash astronomer dot com, and you'll see his footage there. And that's some of the footage that I feature in Celestial. Now we have, I think, close to a dozen people that are doing this. He's taught them how to set up the camera, and uh, you know adjusted to the telescope they have. And I think we have uh, close to half a, a dozen or half a dozen people out there that are filming the moon in full color. See, this is what we need, Jose. This is what exactly what we need. We keep hearing of disclosure, disclosure. I don't think that we'll ever get disclosure from a government uh, representative. I think it's going to come at a grassroots level. And when you have people like this using, you know, uh, equipment that is not that expensive and we can all put it together into a database, the door is going to open wide open. Yeah, and I, I get emails from people saying, well, okay, if uh, if this is still in full color, are you sure not airbrushing this? I mean, I have to deal with that now. But they say, well, how come the, the big observatories aren't telling you? And I go, duh, they're funded by the government. That's right. You know, and they can, they tell them what to show and what not to show. Believe me. They've known how to film the moon since uh, the, the 60s, man. Since Apollo 11, they were shooting the full photography of the moon. Are you kidding me? Exactly. So compared to what we can do now. Yeah. And uh, India shot it. Uh, Japan shot it. Japan um, almost, I think, faked some of the moon stuff. And they gave it a green tint instead of gray. If you'll see some of their footage. And, and China, you know, they blew the cat out of the bag when they showed that full-color tapestry. I'm losing, I'm losing you a little bit. Your bandwidth. Do you have a lot of stuff open in your computer? No. Okay, now I do. Now, now I can hear you. Oh, weird. Yeah. Or maybe they're listening, and let's hope that they're learning something. <laughs> well, I tell you, they know how to mess with me, man. Just uh, um, hit you in the in the 
financial end, man, because if without money, you can't get anything done. I, I hear you, and we'll live in this money paradise. So when that happens, you, you wonder. But I have to ask you, and you know this probably, NASA, which to me is just uh, another name for the Department of Defense, they've announced to the human races and to nations such as Russia, China, Japan, India, etc., that all the Apollo landing sites, Apollo 11, 12, 14, 15, 16th, and 17th, are now off limits for any other nation on Earth. Is it for the reason that all sites are abundant with helium-3? You know, how dare they say to the world, these are no-fly zones? Don't we have an international agreement? Yeah, we do, and they didn't sign it, though. They didn't sign the International Space Treaty. That's why they decided they could bomb the moon. Remember, they did bomb the moon. And I think that was to uh, destroy certain evidence of either ruins or some of this uh, incredible uh, fortune that they found there. By the way, when you look at Celestial, you see full-color photography of, of mountains made out of gold. They appear to be made out of gold. So, I mean, there's mountains up there of, of what appears to be solid gold. There's no denying it. I, I, don't, guess, I don't think it would be fool's gold, you know? Right. So... Uh, and yeah, for them to be arrogant enough to say there's a no-fly zone, I mean, that means that they, the areas that they were excavating and they were uh, checking out, allegedly dirt and rocks. Give me a, give me a, yeah. give me a break, man. Um, I think they found something there that they've always known had been, has existed there, and they knew where to look. Because when I did uh, research onto the complete NASA journal, okay, which displays from Apollo 8 all the way up, I think Apollo 1 even, all the way up to uh, 17. I looked at every photo because I was trying to find a, 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 a photograph taken of a crater called Gio. That's G-U-Y-O-T. It's named for a Frenchman. Um, I was trying to find another photo taken um, on Apollo uh, 17, because on this one photo where this, there appears to be a spaceship crashed on, on uh, this other crater that's nearby called Lobachevsky. It's a very famous one on the Internet. It looks like a crashed uh, alien spaceship, you know, lying on the side of this uh, crater. Oh, yeah. But to the right, there's another. If you look closely to the right, there's another crater called Geo. And there, uh, there's a ship leaning on the edge of that crater. It looks like a fish. It has fins in the tail end like two uh two fins and then it has a head of what appears to be like a fish reptilian looking fish and i measured it and the, that crater is about 52 miles in diameter this thing is about 25 miles 20 miles in length and it's not a landscape uh you know landscape feature it's a craft so i started looking for a photo before this one photo was taken and a photo before a photo after and the thing is not there i mean i couldn't find the geo crater i wanted to find a close-up of just the geo crater and i went through the whole archives all right and some of them had like two thousand photos some of them had like you know three thousand one had like eight thousand photos i went through each photo mel it took me weeks but i found one thing out there's a shot of the same crater lobachevsky taken in 1994, so supposedly by the Clementine mission, which is where most of the color photography 
my films comes from. I don't want to discuss the Clementine mission later. Go ahead. Yes. Um, the Clementine mission. The photo from about 78 miles above the surface of the moon. And this is on the far side of the moon, by the way. Lobachevsky. This object that supposedly crashed on the side there is a structure that was built between Apollo 16, which was in April of... Uh, of uh, 68, no, 69, no, 72. Between April of 72 and uh, December of 72, when Apollo 17 took a photo uh, of Lobachevsky, this thing would, did not crash. It was built. This structure was built. It's 10 miles wide, 6 miles high, okay? It was built in 8 months. Even Donald Trump can't do that. <laughs> so... When I started looking for Lobachevsky photos and, and Geocrater photos to see if that fish-looking thing was just a landscape thing, I found out there was a photo that they claim is Apollo 17 that is identical to the photo of the Clementine mission in 1994. Now, unless Apollo 17 traveled forward into time, all right, to 1999 and snapped that photo from 78 miles high, there's a big mix up here. All right. And that kind of tells me that photo and the, the photos are not similar. They're identical. No. I'm going to send you celestial. You'll see what I mean. Uh, that tells me that even the NASA journal is a lie because maybe the Apollo Clementine mission photography that we're just getting to see, uh, was taken in 1972. And it's not really what is there now. It's just bizarre. So when I was researching the NASA journal to see if I could find footage <clears throat> of the geocrater where this uh, fish-like craft that's 20 miles long um, appears, I found there's one particular photo taken by Apollo 17 uh, in that month of December that um, if you look at the movie Celestial, you'll see a close-up of the Lobachevsky crater from 78 miles high that was taken in 1994 in full color. But then you see this archive uh, photo in um, 1972 of the same crater from 78 miles, and they're not similar. It's identical. Okay? It's, it's, it's identical as if it was taken in 94. So that tells me it's either the 19 the the Lobachevsky full color photography was taken in 1972, and then they posted it as photography taken in 1994, or vice versa. They took that photo from 94 and put it back into 1972 to confuse people. So um, I the way I feel NASA works in the DoD is that they probably took this full-color photography from 1974 and posted it as the Clementine photography of 1994. Reason being is in 1994, we went back to the moon with digital high-definition camera, full-color photography of the moon, uh, reconnaissance of the moon, and remapped it. And I don't think that they released that photography in 94. But let me ask you, 1994, Clementine, 
1.8 million images taken. If you and I are taxpayers, they're funding that with, with our money. Why shouldn't we see 90, I mean, 100%? We're just, they're just showing us 10%. Not even that. Not I even have, that. I, I've downloaded every shot on the Clementine website of the full color photography in high definition, man. I'm, they're 48 inches by 37, 38 inches, uh, 48 inches wide by 37 inches high plates of every shot taken of the moon, okay? And I've only downloaded 850 photos of 1.8 million. And these photos have been tampered with too, okay? That's less than 1%. Yeah. And so... Um, that's why I contacted NASA. I said, I'd like to see the other 1.8 million digital photographs. Where's the archive where I can see them? What did they, they say? What did they say? They never responded. They've never contacted me back. It's like a, they're avoiding me like the plague, man. If I, if I organize a group that demanded to NASA, answer the question, why are you not showing the, 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 you know, the large majority or the entire set of pictures? Why? What is the reason? Why, why do you think they're hiding this? Well, because they probably have um, – well, I, I know there's definitely higher quality than what's available to the public. I mean, that's a no-brainer. But uh, there's – in full-color photography and, – and, and from what it said in the, in the reports that I got, that they zoomed in so close to the moon that you could see uh, a five-inch square mm. on the surface of the moon from 78 miles high. Okay? So uh, you can bet – they have alien bases up there that they've captured photographs of. I mean, the, the Lovachevsky crater is a very important crater because there's this uh, monument that's there on the rim of the uh, crater that is 10 miles wide, 6 miles high, and was built in eight months. Okay, between Apollo 16, when they photographed the same crater, to Apollo 17, where this huge artifact now appears... This thing was built by someone or something. So um, I've written them, too, and I even had a uh, thing up there trying to get NASA to show us the untouched photo of the Zimmerman crater, which is also on the far side of the moon, towards the bottom, where there was this huge object resting on top of the crater. Is that the one that looks like a spaceship? Looks like a huge, huge machine, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, they've never contacted me back. Are you kidding? They don't answer my calls. They don't return my calls. I've sent tons of emails. But yeah, man, if we could get a committee, you know, to... Uh, we want to get onto JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, where a lot of the archives are, and sit down and, and check out the archives, man. What it about Aristarchus? Aristarchus. Yeah, man. Now, that's... Uh, that's a very interesting crater. When you see the full color photography of that one, it's amazing. But here's the thing. I've had I've, my films have caused uh, the Navy websites to be taken down and some of NASA stuff to be uh, tampered with because, you know, by releasing the films to the public, they're getting wind, catching wind that, hey, man, the moon is full color celestial body. They took down that uh, the site where you could go, the public could go and see that uh, airbrushed uh, uh, um, machine that was on top of the uh, crater, the Zimmerman crater. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now they say, well, now it's 2.0 instead of 1.2. Uh, 
or 1.5, whatever version that was. Well, yeah, but now 2.0, they've even airbrushed out some of the features of the other craters and everything else. It's just a bogus map of the moon. And uh, <clears throat> where we were going to is uh, also is that um, with NASA claiming a no-flying zone, a no-fly zone over certain areas, that's a bunch of BS, man. We don't own the moon. Nobody owns the moon. You can claim you owe the moon, own the moon, but if you landed there, but big deal, you just landed there. Well, but then you have people who were, you know, former intelligence operatives who say that about 50% of our satellites are not pointing towards Earth. They're pointing towards the, the, the black sky and the moon. And if we have, a, a, you know, what they say is the secret space program with our weapons platforms, now, these, these, these countries may be intimidated to even approach those areas because, you know, we've seen them in action. We've seen the rail gun. We've seen the lasers being shot at these, these ships. But we have to take a one and only intermission. But I wanted to ask you and get your answer on the other side. There's a, a piece of footage, a color footage out there. I believe it's from the late 60s, if I'm not mistaken, where you could see the astronauts have what seems to be there I say, a, a Native American body. It looks to be a woman. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. It looks like, like a dead body that yeah. they supposedly captured or, or t took from the moon. But we'll, we'll, I'll get you answer on the other side. Right now, tell us, how can people support your work, all your movies, your websites? They can go to tblnfilms.com. That's four letters. T as in Tom, B as in Bob, L as in Larry, N as in Nancy, and then films, F-I-L-M-S dot com. And there you can uh, you can check out um, where you can make donations, contributions for the making of my movies. And um, also the Battle of L.A. dot com is another website. And, uh, you know, I appreciate any contributions. Um, I'll sell you a movie credit. You can your mo your name appears in the movie credits and you get baseball hats and things like that, you know, of the fit of the film. And uh, contributions, man, that's what helps me make these movies because it costs money to license the, uh, some of the footage, license uh, the music especially. So um, I do the rest. I do it all. So uh, uh, that's how come I can afford to make these movies because I do all the work, you know. <laughs> and your movies, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Russell Rods, Interstellar, UFO, The Greatest Story Ever Denied, Moon Rising. Luna, Moon Views, The Battle of L.A., which I definitely want to talk about when we come back. That's a great story. And Celestial. Am I missing any? Um, Interstellar. Do you know you mentioned Interstellar? Yes. Uh, no, that's about it. I'm working on a film as soon as I finish this other project that I'm, I'm involved in. Uh, uh, UFOs from Outer Space, which is entirely about footage and photography taken from the 60s, late 50s, up until present time, of objects that are coming to Earth from outer space, UFOs from outer space. So uh, I, need, I need donations, man. I, I need to raise the funds to get these films made. And I hope that uh, our audience helps you. And uh, everybody knows the new concept of crowdfunding. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with uh, Jose Escamilla. Don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. 
We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the members section. Enjoy.
This is Stan Deo, and you're listening to Veritas. <laughs> 